Welcome, welcome to the Sharp Way. Yes, a special Veterans Day program this evening, uh, November 11th, 2019. Veterans Day here at the Sharp Way. Many of you know I am a veteran. Seven glorious years, United States Marine Corps. If you want to join the program, talk to me, ask me some questions, get mad at me, whatever you like. Seven, I'm sorry, five, seven, three, four, two, seven, five, four, six, three. Again, se- uh, five, seven, three, four, two, seven. Five four six three. If you like this program, then do me a favor, support it. Head on over to patreon.com slash sharpway. Please drop a couple bucks there every single month. If you can do nine bucks, fifteen bucks, twenty-eight bucks, whatever you can do to keep this going. This costs money and time. And I'm on a holiday. I'm here with you. And if I could, I want to talk today a little bit about the war on terror. The war on terror is a huge part of of what it has meant to be a veteran for the past 20 years. When I was in the Marine Corps in the 80s, it really was more of the Cold War, right? After Vietnam, more of a cold still fight in the Soviet Union. It was a different kind of mindset. The bad guy was Ivan, and in some cases the good guy was someone who was in Afghanistan supporting us fighting the Russians. But if I could, I want you to imagine something with me if you could. Imagine you are just in the street and you see a car in the street. There's a car sitting in the street. And as the car sits in the street, I give you a brick. And I say, there you go. There's your brick. If you would like, go ahead and throw the brick at the car. Would you do it? The average person would not. Of course. Why would you throw a brick at a car? For what reason? No, no reason. I then change the situation. I say, you know what? Right now, magically, I've made it to where it is legal that you can throw that brick at the car. If you want to, throw the brick. No worries. It's now legal. Would you throw it? Most people wouldn't. But let me change one thing. Instead, it's not just some car. Picture, if you would, someone who you love. Sister, brother, husband, wife, child, parent, someone you love, close friend. Someone you love was murdered. And the guy who murdered him, and it was a guy in this case, the guy who murdered your loved one is in that car. And how you know this person murdered your loved one is you saw him do it. You, with your own eyes, personally watched the person in that car murder your loved one. Do you throw the brick now? You probably do. But now I remove my magic powers. It is now illegal and you will go to jail if you throw that brick. Do you throw the brick? You probably do. That person was the murderer who murdered your family member or your loved one. And you know that that person is going to receive no punishment whatsoever for that. You can't call the cops on them. Nothing's going to happen. They will just get away with murdering someone you loved. Do you throw the brick? Odds are you do. I want to add one more aspect to it. In this fictitious case, I don't know who you are, but imagine if you would, you believe in magic, 
that if you throw that brick and it hits that guy through that glass, that you will magically see your loved one again. And you believe that in your heart, that if you do it, you will see your loved one again. Believe it. Do you throw the brick? You probably do. What if I say, not only is he illegal, but I'm going to put a cop right there in front of the car. Do you throw the brick? You do. I'm going to put 20 cops around the car. Do you throw the brick? Yes, you do. If I threaten that I will kill you if you throw the brick, you probably still throw the brick. That is what terrorism is today. They have watched us drone and bomb and kill their loved ones for decades now. It's not been decades. And we've killed their loved ones and bombed their loved ones and hurt their loved ones for decades. And they see virtually no punishment whatsoever. Where do they do? They want to throw that brick. It doesn't matter how much security we put up. It doesn't matter how many times we get. It doesn't matter how often we bomb them. Because when guy one dies, then gal two comes up, or gal three, or guy four, or guy five. And they all start coming up again and again and again. And they fall behind each other. Because as we bomb them more, we create more victims. We create more people who they can now rally behind to come after us. This is the war on terror. We're fighting something that doesn't end. It just keeps going. Hence, it's been about 20 years and we're still fighting this same war. Why? Because the more we bomb, the more they come after us. The more we bomb, the more they come after us. It doesn't end. Now, you might be saying, well, Larry, you know, that sounds great, but, but Larry, it's them, it's not us. We have to fight them over there so we don't fight them here. I hear that often. But there's something that's happening here that you may or may not care about. I hope you do care about. And that is our war on terror, because we call it a war on terror, because it is a war. Now it allows the government to do whatever it decides it wants to do, because it's a war. See, you're not against the war effort, are you? Our privacy? Optional. No longer matters. We can take your privacy away. We can ignore all your rights. First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Sixth Amendment. These are all now optional. Why? Gotta keep you safe. Yeah, we do. Got to keep you safe. Number one thing is safety. That's it. But here's what the problem I have with that. The problem I have is I was a Marine, and if you are a veteran or even active duty, you took the same oath that I took was to protect and defend the Constitution, not every single individual. I don't remember that oath. I don't remember an oath saying, I promise to protect every single American from anything ever at any time. I don't remember that oath. I remember the one that said, I'm going to protect the Constitution. And then the Constitution protects our rights so that we can protect ourselves. And boy, is that not happening at all. What's actually happening is we're worried about making us safe. In fact, we're proud of it. Kept us safe. Kept us safe. Kept us safe. I hear that all the time. 
proud of this. We are prepared to sacrifice our rights for safety. I would ask you a question. If we're sacrificing all of our rights for safety, what are we sacrificing for? What are we actually saving? Not much. But it doesn't end with just destroying our rights. It goes further. It goes now government can make lists. Oh, the old lists. Gotta love those lists. Making list after list after list. And what do they talk about? Ah, this guy could be a bad threat. He could be a bad guy. He could be this. Put him on a list. He's on a list. And now all of a sudden he loses his rights. Okay, great. What was the due process to prove the guy was actually a bad guy? Did something wrong? Virtually nothing. I'm afraid is basically it. Who makes the list? Bureaucrat makes the list. Some bureaucrat. I'm not saying the bureaucrat's bad at all. I mean, I'm not at all. Probably an average person who wants to do the right thing, who's probably relatively talented, probably wants to do the right thing and wants to help the country. I get that. No worries. So that person wants to do that. Awesome. Good for them. So let me ask you, if that person sees your name, your name on the list, is that, can I go on the list or not? Should I put this person on the list or not? And they're not sure, what are they going to err on? On the list. Of course they are. Because if they don't do it and you do something stupid, they are going to pay. So of course you go on the list. So they're, they're incentivized to err on the side of on the list you go. And you go, wait a minute, that's not going to happen because if someone you know is on the list incorrectly, then what do they do? They will then you know appeal to get off the list. Well, how? Where's due process? Who wants to talk to you now? You're on the terrorist list. I'm not talking to you. You're clearly a terrorist. You're on the list. Yeah, that happens all the time. Lists. And the worst part is we are proud of these lists. We are proud of our safety. We act like it's awesome. And when we do that, what we're actually doing is saying that we are okay prosecuting thought crimes. We're okay prosecuting you because you might, could be, maybe, if, have done something wrong. All this happens from the war on terror. Maybe, got to be safe, so lock him up. Maybe, got to be safe, put him on a list. Maybe, got to be safe, bomb him. It is now legal to bomb U.S. citizens, Americans, in foreign countries because they might be terrorists. Think about that. The president right now. And if you like Trump, maybe you're okay with that. If you don't like Trump, you're not okay with it. But guess what? Trump's not always going to be president, no matter what you might think. Some guy or gal you don't like is going to be president at one point for sure. And that person decides, you know what? I don't like those guys. Bomb them. And they can. The war on terror creates Gitmo. It creates lists. It creates sacrificing of rights. The war on terror is turning us into a police state. And we are actively saying it's all good. Because we're afraid. Something to remember. As a general rule, America doesn't just take away rights. Almost always, we eagerly ask for our rights to be taken away because we're afraid. Take my rights away because I'm scared. That's what we usually do. The war on terror has created that. And the worst part is, it's created that. And the people who are paying a huge physical and mental price are our veterans as they send them off to war, an unending war that they cannot win. There will be no victory parades. 
because we can't win this war. So we're sending them off to fight a war they cannot win. And then when they come back, no matter how brave they are, no matter how bold they are, no matter how honorable they are, no matter how powerful and strong they are, no matter what they do, they can't win this war. And when they come back, either physically or mentally broken, or both broken, both physically and mentally broken, if both, when they come back, we will discard them. It's what we've done again and again and again. We'll put a yellow ribbon on the back of our, on the back of our car. We'll say, thank you for your service. And they will go off. And at twice the rate of non-veterans, they will commit suicide. That is what keeps happening, has been happening. That is what our war on terror does. All right. I have a whole lot more to talk, but I want to grab a couple of calls. The first call, I want to stay on topic. I want to go to Dutchess County in New York. Yes, we're staying in New York right now. I want to uh, talk to uh, Christian. He wants to talk about justified wars. Christian, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Larry. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. What's going on? Happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans um, Day. I just had a sort of two-pronged question related to what would what would you consider the last justified war? And it's kind of related to the fact that um, I have this sort of cognitive dissonance of wanting to thank soldiers and veterans for their service. Yeah. But at the same time, none of the wars they've fought in are justified. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. So I get your point. What would you think? What would you think would be the way to deal with that problem? Let mentally? me deal with both of them. From a defensive perspective, yep. you want to be thankful, but it's difficult. Let me give you two things. And this, and this will make some people angry. And when I say it, people do get angry, but it's true. Most veterans do not like when you say, thank you for your service. Most don't. Mm -hmm. um, and people get mad. Yes, they do. We love, no, no, they don't. They don't actually like it. Most don't actually care either way, but they're not like, yay, thank you. They, most of them don't care either way. Some are actually upset by it. And particularly those who saw combat. Now, how do I know this? I'm not a combat veteran. I've met many combat veterans and helped them and tried to help them transition into the workforce. It's one of the things I do as a trainer. And what they often feel, particularly our combat veterans, is they feel, and this may sound crazy to a civilian, but if you're a vet, you get this. They often feel they didn't do enough. Combat veterans mm. often feel like they didn't do enough. And to a civilian, that's insane. Like we can't understand a vet thinking this my god they went over there they were in combat they gave they gave more than we gave but in their own minds particularly if they saw people who they cared about either be hurt or killed or seriously wounded or come back and they committed suicide if they see any of that they have basically a survivor's guilt feeling that they haven't given enough so if you thank that vet for the service you're actually hurting them in a way, not massively. It's not like you're destroying them. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it's a little bit of a smack to them because they really feel like they didn't give enough. And now you think mm. of them makes them actually feel bad. Now, that's not the, that's not the average. The average goes, whatever. People say, well, Larry, why don't they get mad? Because they know that you're not trying to be a jerk. The person who says thank you for your service is trying to do a good thing and be nice. And let's know that. We're not mad at you because of that. We're not going, oh, you're a jerk. They're not. But if you want to make a vet really feel good, one of the best things you can do 
is just say what you will hear me say often when I meet vets. I'm glad you're home. Mm. What vets want more than anything is one of two things. To go back into the service and to go back into combat again. I know it sounds horrible, but many of them do want that because they feel at home there. Or two, they want to integrate effectively back into their communities. And they, we often don't do that. Not that we shouldn't honor them and give them parades. It's lovely, particularly in local communities when I honor their veterans. Please do. That's amazing. But if you constantly put them up on a pedestal, how do they ever integrate into their society? They actually don't want to be in a pedestal. They want to just be good members of their community. Right? I had an issue once. I tell a story often, but I got to tell it again. It's such an amazing story. During one of my sessions when I'm training uh, veterans uh, coming back, uh, um, um, from I think these guys come back from Afghanistan. I think they were Afghanistan. I'm training them at the reserve unit, and I'm teaching them about the idea of you know how do how do you give a success story when you're sitting in um, an interview to impress the HR person and show them your success and that kind of thing. And I often have to fight to get them to say anything. They say nothing. I'm like, what are you talking about? Let's talk. And this one guy, I'm talking to him. And this guy, uh, this, this is a separate class. And I remember a separate class. This guy was a, was a sailor. And he literally says at one point, after like three prods, you know, I saved the guy's life once. Oh, my God. What an amazing success story. I saved the guy's life. And here's the best part. I wish I'd planned this. You know what this guy wanted to be? He wanted to be a security guard. You would think if you were the hiring manager and you were hiring a security guard, one of the most important success stories you could possibly hear is you saved the guy's life once. That's amazing. And I had to fight to get this out of this guy. Another guy was a Marine. He had an overwatch in Afghanistan. And his overwatch rate over course, I think, I think it was a nine-month tour, and maybe, or maybe six-month tour. But it was a, a several-month tour of doing overwatch. And on his tour, he was 100%. And for those of you who don't know what overwatch is, overwatch is when you're basically watching an area. In this case, his was, his was uh, convoy routes. And he was trying to make sure that there were no uh, explosives, IEDs that went off during his time. And he, I think it was six or nine months. They, they got every single IED. Not one bomb went off during his tour. He was 100%. And I said, my God, do you know how awesome civilians want to get 100% at anything? They will jump through hoops to get 100% anything. And, his, and his, he said to me, yeah, I was just doing my job. That's a vet issue. And to understand veterans better that way, instead of saying thank you for your service, instead say, I'm glad you're home. And in fact, if they're a Vietnam vet, and this is specifically for Vietnam vets, just say, welcome home. Because the Vietnam vets never got a welcome home. So it doesn't matter if they got out in 72, 75, 68, doesn't matter when they got out. If a Vietnam vet, you know the Vietnam vet, and you meet them, just say welcome home. You want the vets to feel good coming back into our communities. So that was step one. Does that answer your question on the on the on the first on the second part of your question? Absolutely. Yeah. On the first part, justified war. Well, the last time Congress declared war. And do you happen to know when the last time Congress declared war? World War Two. Nineteen forty two. That is correct, sir. We we actually declared war against Germany's allies in Europe, Bulgaria, Romania, and Hungary. I think it was February 42. I'm, I'm pretty sure, not 100% sure, but I think it was February 42 when I'm sure someone will, will check and Google would get mad at me if I was wrong. But some, it's around that area. We actually did not declare war against Finland, which was also 
a German ally about. On those three, we declared war. That's against the Soviets. That, yeah, that, that, that was <laughs> We're the, cool with that. <laughs> yeah, but that was the last the time war. that we declared war. And that was the last justified war because we were attacked. Right? Mm-hmm. Since then, we've been at war, by the way. We haven't declared war since 1942. But we've been at war almost perpetually since World War II. For about 70 years, give or take, we've been at war. Even though we haven't declared war. By the way, mm-hmm. we haven't won a war since World War II either. We just keep fighting wars. We don't win them. We get draws or losses. We don't actually win in these wars. Most of these wars are unwinnable. And that's what I was talking about earlier. The wars we're in now, the war on terror, it's unwinnable. We will never win that war. It cannot be won. World War II could be won. World War I could be won. Civil War could be won. These are wars that could be won. Every war we fought since then, it's, they're unwinnable. Because it's a general rule, we're fighting someone else's civil war. And when you're fighting someone else's civil war, how can you possibly win? The French tried to fight in our Revolutionary War, which is basically a civil war, and they lost. Go back, uh, go 10 years after, 20 years after our war, and then revolution themselves. The empire fell because of us. So the last justified war, World War II. Did I answer your questions? Yep, absolutely. And um, what do you think about the, the idea of, instead of saying Veterans Day, saying Armistice Day again, like it was originally called? Actually, you know, I like the Veterans Day. I think we should, I mean, our, our veterans are brave men and women who go off and do amazing things. Whether we mm. believe they're actually defending our freedom or not, um, that's a different issue. But without question, they're doing amazing things. Why wouldn't we want to honor them? Armistice Day says we're happy that the war is over. Remember, Armistice Day, after, for those who don't know, Armistice Day was the, was the original uh, Veterans Day because it, it was the end of World War I. And the reason why they wanted that day is because back in those days, they believed, obviously erroneously, that this was the war to end all, war, all wars. That when this war was over, there'd be no more. And that's why this was a great celebration. Armistice Day, that would be the end. It was the 11th, oh, the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month. Uh, but that's not even close to true, my friend. Um, we are still fighting and have been fighting. I'd rather keep it. No, I agree. Yeah, it would just, it'd just be nice to have that sentiment of, uh, I just think from the sentiment of ending things being, being positive. Uh, but no, I, I totally agree. Just wanted to think, uh, hear your opinion. Yep. Good. I hope I answer your questions. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Awesome. All right. So thank you for that call. Um, What I often hear is Larry, we've got to do something. We've got to do something because, you know, this is that I'm naive because of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and, you know, uh, all the bad guys out there, Saddam Hussein and all that stuff. In reality, please think about this for a minute. Why in the world are you scared of ISIS? Why in the world are you scared of Al-Qaeda? There are more New York City cops than there are ISIS fighters. And that was at their peak. When they were at their peak... There were still more New York City cops than there were ISIS fighters at their peak when they were at their big caliphate. The world's ending the caliphate. All that stuff. More New York City cops. And they were surrounded locally by five to six million other troops all around them who hated them. In Iran and Saudi Arabia and Turkey and all the place. Surrounded by millions of other troops who don't like them. They were 6,000 miles away 
And the the, mo- the the strongest weapon they had was a rocket launcher, meaning a handheld RPG rocket uh, rocket propelled grenade. That's the strongest weapon they had. Hardly even had any any type of armored vehicle at all. And they six thousand miles away, and they get to us with no navy and no air force. They have to go through Europe, which has nuclear weapons. Why the hell are we afraid? Why are you afraid of ISIS? Why are you afraid of Al Qaeda? If you don't count the military members that we sent over there, for a second, hold them to the side. Name almost anything. More Americans have died of that than Al-Qaeda or ISIS fighters. Bees, yes. Mosquitoes, yes. Pools, yes. You name it, more Americans have died. Cows, yes. More cows have killed Americans than ISIS and Al-Qaeda fighters. Doesn't matter. Name the thing. More Americans have died from that thing than ISIS and Al-Qaeda. More. Why are we so afraid? Why is it acceptable to lose our rights to destroy the American society over something that is less dangerous than cows? Does it make any sense? Why are we afraid? Well, Larry, you understand something. These are ISIS-inspired people or Al-Qaeda-inspired people. Wow, what a lie that is. So I like the Spanish king. So I go off and commit a crime and I yell, I love Spain, and I hit someone over the head. Is that now a Spanish-inspired attack? Should we declare war on Spain now? Of course not. That's a story to make you afraid to keep the war on terror going. Now, know what I said, ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Which one is it? Do we even know? Do we even care? Does it even matter? Was it Saddam Hussein who was the bad guy? Remember when we got Saddam Hussein? Remember that? About 16 years ago, give or take, however long it was. 15 years ago, 16 years ago, we got Saddam Hussein. And we got that, that we were, all the guys were in the room, and the, and the officer comes out and goes, we got him. Everybody goes, yay! Like, that was it. See, we got Saddam Hussein. Now the world's safer. No, it wasn't. Nothing changed. In fact, thousands of American soldiers and sailors and Marines would still die and be broken. Still. Even though we got Saddam Hussein. Remember eight years later? That's when we got Osama bin Laden. Yeah! Right? Now we got Osama bin Laden. See? Now things will be better. No change. Yet again, exactly the same. Nothing changed. But I thought Saddam Hussein was the bad guy. The bath party. I thought Al-Qaeda was the bad guy. Okay, well, now he's dead. Oh, well, now ISIS is the bad guy. And we got uh, Baghdadi. We got that guy just a couple, what, a month ago? Trump got him, right? Oh, look, it's all changed. No. No difference. We don't even know who we're fighting anymore. We don't even know who we're fighting anymore. Is it ISIS? Is it Al-Qaeda? Is it Saddam Hussein, the Ba'ath Party? Who's the next villain that they make up after ISIS is destroyed, assuming it's ever destroyed? Does Al-Qaeda come back? Do we go back to the old hits? What do we do? Do we start revamping the old guys again? Do we bring back Nazis? Maybe. What do we do? There's always a bad guy. There's always an enemy. And the more there's an enemy and we can send people overseas, the more we forget what's happening right here, 
in our front yard and in our backyard. The more we forget the rights that we're losing, the control that we're losing, the happiness that we're losing, the economy that is broken, the families that are broken, we lose all of that as we keep shipping people overseas. And then if you say something bad about the war, what's the first thing they say? Why do you hate the troops? Well, let me go back to that one because that one specifically gets me upset. Because while there are very few people who die, civilians who die from Al-Qaeda and ISIS, that's true. There's a whole lot of Marines, soldiers, sailors that die. A whole lot at the hands of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all the people that were fighting overseas. A whole lot. Yeah, but Larry, but Larry 9-11, but Larry 9-11. Yeah, we lost about 3,000 people in 9-11, and that was terrible. Horrible. I was in New York during it. If you're in New York, you, you probably felt it more than I did if you were living downtown. I wasn't. I was living in Queens at the time, but I was still in New York City. Terrible. We lose, we lost more than that in sailors and soldiers and Marines. Double that already. Fighting the war from that. Fighting the wars from that. Do they not matter? I would say, particularly on Veterans Day, vet lives matter. Military lives matter, don't they? Don't those people matter? And when they go over there, and here's the worst part of all of it. There's Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And I always say I think Veterans Day is kind of a senior day in my, in my view. It's just my opinion, in my view. Memorial Day, we talk about those who we've lost. And for them, their journey's over. They feel no more pain, their journey's over. Their families still suffer. Absolutely, their families still suffer. But their journey is over. But when it comes to Veterans Day, not only do the family members suffer, but also those veterans, too, are also suffering. They're also suffering with PTSD, they're suffering with TBI, they're suffering with survivor's guilt, they're suffering with all the physical issues that, those are those things we can't see. And there's the worst part, those are things we can't even see. Then there's those we can actually see. Loss of limb, loss of eyesight, just all those other horrible things that we can see. All of this so that we can put a yellow ribbon in the back of our car, and say, I support the troops. And why do you hate the troops? I love the troops. Well, I would ask you, person, who doesn't allow anyone else to talk bad about the wars, who doesn't allow anybody to talk bad about our troops, how many more troops have to die before your pride is satisfied? A thousand? Ten thousand? hundred thousand? How many? How much blood has to be spilled until you can go, I'm proud now, I'm happy how much? If you if it's only a couple thousand, let's line them up and shoot them now. It's a whole lot better for everybody. Then we can pull out of the wars and move on. Your pride can be satisfied and we can move on. See how easy that is? Way better. It's not okay. It's not okay to assume that because I say something against perpetual war, that somehow I'm anti-veteran. And because someone speaks about pro-war, that they're somehow pro-veteran. Those two things have nothing to do with each other. In fact, I would say they're the opposite. That's just my opinion. On this Veterans Day, I guess I have, a, uh, I have, I have a, uh, an unpopular um, opinion. All right, I'm going to grab a call if I could. 
I'm staying in New York tonight. You New Yorkers keep calling me. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to speak to uh, Sam in Cairo, New York. Sam, how are you? Hey, Larry. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. What's going so, on? I'll, well, you know, one of the interesting things about it is, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, we should never have a preemptive war. Mm-hmm. Remember Ron Paul talking about that? Yes. But sometimes, you know, like if your neighbor is standing there and he's got a gun and he's pointing it into your yard, at one point in time, you're going to say, hey, this guy's a threat to me. There's got to be something I ought to do about this. Or, you know, if there's a country that says death to America, you know, we're going to destroy America, something like that. What point in time does that give us a justification to do something? No, it's a great it's a great point. And I think those are two those are two separate issues, right? Two separate issues. Um, one is when you okay. said guys pointing a gun and one is someone's yelling death to America. And I want to separate those two because they're two separate issues and both require separate answers. Number one. Okay. If there's someone who is you know, pointing a weapon at us or is an actual threat, of course we may want to do something preemptive. We might. But here's the issue. Do we want to invade their country? No. That's a bad idea. In today's modern world, there are three types of forces that America needs to have Desperately. Three. Special forces, mm-hmm. cyber, and nuclear. Those yeah. are the three we have to have. Those three. Why? Because any of those three can do what you just said. We don't have to have massive yeah. forces. Um, think about it. When's the last time the United States got in a massive tank battle? Last time was... Uh-huh. Last time was World War II. Actually, it was the Iraqi War. We fought in the Iraqi War. We first attacked um, from Kuwait into Iraq. We had, a, we had a tank battle. Last time. And, okay. And those tank battles were so ungodly one-sided, it wasn't even, it was insane. It was something like the, mm. they, they lost 40 tanks to our injured one. It was something horrible like that. We just devastated them. That's why, guess what? Right. No one fights us in tank battles anymore because we will destroy them. No one fights on the open anymore because we'll destroy them. They fight them via cyber or terrorism or everything else, but not that. So what do we do? We build more tanks. I don't know why. Not required. Special forces, cyber forces, nuclear forces. If there's someone who's saying, I'm going to drop a bomb on you or I'm going to nuke you, great. Special forces, come in and go out and take it out. Or a cyber attack, knock it down. We do it already. Right? We went and got Saddam Hussein, special forces. Um, they try to stop Iran. I think it was Israel. Cyber attack. That's how you would deal right. with a threat like that. You would neutralize it that way. The second you start bombing, the second you start invading, at that point, you just open up a massive can of worms that is going to make a whole lot of people in your country suffer. In your country. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you would for a second. Imagine it is September 12th, 2001. September 12th, Okay. right after the, the, the towers come down. And instead of us doing what we yep, did, yep. we instead take all of our elite forces, which, by the way, are some of the best elite forces on the planet, hands down. Ask anybody who's a specialist, oh, yeah. they'll tell you that. Some of the best. Yep, without the question. We sent all of them just to get Saddam Hussein. That's it. That was their entire mission. Our, our CIA, all of our infrastructure was, was focused just on getting him. Most experts would yeah. agree we would have gotten Saddam Hussein. I'm sorry, we would have gotten Osama bin Laden in about two years. Most would agree to that. That that's we can't guarantee that. Obviously, it's total hindsight, but odds are we yeah. would have got him in about two years. 
Then we got him. Well, took, you know, I took him out. Hold on. Took him out without yep. invading a country. We still right. cut off the head of Al Qaeda. We still send a message to any guy or gal who decides they want to get us that we can kill them and we can reach them wherever they are. Doesn't matter where they are. And no more Americans have to die and nobody gets bombed and we don't create enemies. Did that make sense at least? It, it makes sense. And so what you're saying actually is that maybe after the USS Cole attack or even after the first uh, World Trade Center attack, we would have been justified in doing that then. Maybe. It depends. And that would have prevented I, I, 9-11. Yeah, I don't know the details on that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is really a bad idea, right? Even with, with the um, – you know, <clears throat> many people will say that 9-11 is because of other things we did in the past. I'm unsure how detailed that is. I don't know the details of that. But, yeah, if, if we right. just go after the, the top dog bad guy, we don't create all the, the down-the-river terrorists who want to kill us. We don't create them, but right. we still send a message. Well, because usually those guys are dictators anyway. Yes, right? I mean, absolutely. Those guys are terrible dictators. A hundred percent. That's okay. exactly what they are. So I think that's how we deal with that. Now, someone yelling death to America. So what? So what? Why do I care if someone yells death to America? I hear it all the time. They say they want to kill us. Great. I just spoke about this. ISIS at its height had 20,000 or 30,000 fighters at its height, at its maximum. There are more New York City yeah, cops than say, that. I heard you say that. That's the most amazing statistic I've ever heard. Yes. there are, Literally, there it's, are more New York City cops than all the ISIS fighters at their peak. Why are we afraid? They yell, death to America. You know what that is? That's a recruiting tool yeah. for them. When they yell, right. death to America, and then we're dumb enough to bomb them because we're afraid of them, then we kill some of their people who we shouldn't have killed. Those people now hate us. They just recruited more people. The more we bomb, yeah. the better they recruit. If you notice something, this is something people don't realize. People got so upset mm -hmm. because ISIS had a caliphate for a while in Syria and Iraq. And I said, good, yeah. let them have one. People thought, oh, my God, Larry, you're crazy. But if they're doing that, they have to actually govern. Their fighters are in the right. streets trying to be cops and to placate their horrible governmental system and their terrible, you know, uh, ISIS culture that destroys people. Right. They can't fight us. Right. They're too busy fighting themselves. Let them yep. have a caliphate. No, that makes sense. Let them have it. All right. So then my, I, I agree with that. So then my last question is sort of to combine those two things. Mm -hmm. What do you do with somebody like uh, Kim Jong-un who, you know, is saying death to America and clearly has the capacity to be quite dangerous. You know, he's fired some rockets and stuff like that. It's a great question. Do we have to sit around and wait? It's a great question. And I'll, I'll go back to, let me go back to what the alternative people believe it is. We have to fight this guy here all the time. We have to fight this guy. We got to fight this guy. Okay. Why? Are we going to invade? I hope not. Are we actually planning? I hope not too. Yeah. Are we actually planning to send, to send troops into a country 25 million strong, brainwashed to believe that when we attack them, we're going to eat them. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't want to do that at all. <laughs> the amount of yeah, death and destruction we will have to rain on that country and absorb in, in military members is horrible. I would never want that. So we're not going to invade. So then the answer is, are we going to nuke them? 
Terrible idea. Why would we nuke them? What, we're going to nuke them. We're going to nuke a country on the border of our ally, South Korea, where our troops are, and on the border of China, which also has nuclear weapons. Boy, terrible idea. So we're not going to do that. So all we're going to do is yell at them. Why was that stupid? So, well, Kim, yeah. well, he's got to step down. For what? Where's he going to go? What's he going to do? Because, what is he going to do? Was he going to buy a, a franchise McDonald's in Pyongyang? I mean, stop. This is, this is stupid. The idea of this is dumb. We do this to create an enemy. Here's the actual answer, which you may think I'm crazy. Open up complete and total diplomatic um, ties with North Korea. Allow them to trade with us all day so long. Kind of, Open up diplomatic ties. Kind of like what Trump is trying to do. Um, no, because the problem with what Trump is doing is Trump is trying to win to do it. I'm saying I don't care what they give. They don't have to stop anything. No. You know what will stop them from uh, dropping a nuclear bomb on us? Trading when with they us. they have too much to lose? That is correct. Trade with us. What is far more powerful than our military is our culture at its peak. When American culture is doing what it does best, allowing people to grow, allowing people to prosper, allowing people to be happy, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, oh my God, is it powerful. How do I know this? I do. It's called Vietnam. We walked away from Vietnam. We lost Vietnam. We lost about 60,000 Americans dead and at least 100,000 seriously wounded, if not many more, when we left Vietnam. And guess what? 20 years later, they were our trading partner. Now they're our ally. Yeah. And we yeah. bombed, we dropped more bombs in Vietnam than we dropped throughout all of Europe in World War II. More bombs in that wow. country. There are people still to this day who are walking through a field and lose their arm or leg to a landmine because that we put down there. To this day, mm -hmm. still happening. And guess what? They're our trading partner. If we simply opened wow. up just talks with, with North Korea. You want to trade? Trade. Trade. You would right. watch them all of a sudden right. start to become our ally. It will take time. Of course it will take time. But you have to go one step further. And that is remove right. all troops from South Korea. Why? China does not want anything good happening in North Korea. They don't want to unify. Why would they unify? If China unifies, right. they will literally have American soldiers. I'm sorry. If, if Korea unifies. If Korea unifies. Right. China will literally have American soldiers on their border. Why would they want that? I wouldn't want that if I was China. Right. So how about we remove our right. troops from South Korea, open up talks with North Korea, and all of a sudden they start talking. And I'll go even one yeah. step even crazy further. You want to you really – if you really care about Korea, that's a big deal for you. I got an idea. Yeah. Tell Kim Jong-un if you want to take your money you've stolen from your people, pack it up. And go buy and buy some island off the coast of China. We'll let you go. We'll help broker the deal with China. Pack up, take your family, take your top generals, take your X billion dollars you robbed from your fam from your from your country. Pack up and go to some some island off the coast of of China. You buy. Give him a place to go. Give him a place to That's go. Awesome. Give him a future. I mean, he packs I up love and that leaves. Idea, that... Yes. Once he leaves, the power vacuum will be massive. And guess what will happen? North and South Korea will figure out how to unify on their own without us. They will figure it out. They don't need us. Germany unified. So will Korea. It will figure out a way how. We shouldn't be involved. We walk away. 
brokered a Kim Jong Il, uh, sorry, Kim Jong Un deal to go to China someplace. Look, Idi Amin did it. I can never remember which one it is anymore either. Yes, but Idi Amin <laughs> did it. Kim Jong Un. He, he, yeah. he died someplace. Yeah. So why can't yeah. this? Our current you know, the, the, policy just makes enemies longer. I appreciate that, especially like the idea you said that essentially if we open up trade with them, we're going to make them wealthy and make the country wealthy. And if they're wealthy, they got too much to lose. Yes. So they don't want to go to war anymore. And if you want to overthrow awesome. a dictator, grow a middle class. Yeah. That's it. You I wanna... like everything about that. Yeah. Larry, you are one of the uh, the great speakers in the Liberty Movement. I really appreciate you taking me my, my call. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Bye. So, yeah, note, I, I'm not saying we do nothing. This is the problem I hear often. People go, oh, we should do nothing about all these bad guys. We should do nothing. I didn't say nothing. I just say let's stop. If, if you're going to bomb and invade, can it work? Sure, it can. And I said this before in Afghanistan. Could we win in Afghanistan? Of course. If you want to put 250,000 Marines in Afghanistan for 40 years, maybe you can win Afghanistan. And imagine every year Marine body bags coming home every single month, dead Marines every single month for 40 years. If you're ready to do that, maybe we could win Afghanistan. I'm not ready for that. I don't want to do that. And we still might not do it. But that might happen then. It's not the right answer. I have an idea. Walk away. Yeah, I'm saying walk away. Wow, are you going to walk away from the Middle East? Then there'll be fights and death and civil war. That's happening now. That's not going to happen when we leave. That's happening right now as we speak. The difference is we're in the middle of it. That's the difference. I'll go back to my September 12th thing I just mentioned. Imagine September 12th. We go after, uh, we go after Osama bin Laden with our special elite forces. Then we pull out and withdraw from Saudi Arabia, withdraw from the UAE, withdraw all our force from the Middle East, just walk away from the Middle East, Kuwait, just walk away. Oh my God, Larry, they might have a civil war. They're having one now. They might fight each other. They're fighting now. But Larry, we won't be involved. Good. That's a good thing. They would be fighting, maybe. Or maybe they wouldn't. I don't know that. They might be fighting. They might not be fighting. But either way, you know who they wouldn't be fighting? Us. They might be fighting Russians or French or each other or whatever the case may be. But here's the issue. We wonder why they're spending so much time fighting. This goes back to us, being the West, carving out lines in the sand, deciding what country should be, and not allowing them to create their own countries. America decided to become a country with war. Canada, not. Both are the right answer. America chose war. That was right for us. Canada chose peace. That was right for them. And what I always get is, but Larry, if we didn't fight a revolutionary war, we'd still be British subjects now. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows what could have happened? We might have fought a war later. We might have done peaceful. Who knows what could have happened? But we chose war, and that was the right answer for us. In the Middle East, they will think the same way. Iraq will decide if it should exist as a nation. And who will decide that? The Iraqis will. Syria will decide if it should exist as a nation. Who will decide? Syrians will. And they may decide through civil war, and they may decide through non-civil war or peace or whatever. We went through our Revolutionary War. 
and we went through our civil war. Yet we won't allow them to go through theirs. It's unfair. How dare us decide that they may not go through their own civil wars? They're having it now. They're having religious wars still. We had ours, right? Didn't we have uh, Catholics and Christians killing each other for 100 years in Europe? And still afterwards, still in certain areas, parts of the world. We still do it, right? Well, now they're having Shia and Sunni fighting. That's their world, not ours. Why won't we just let them be who they want to be? But Larry, people will die. They're dying now. We're not helping. We're not helping. But there is one thing we're doing now. We are creating and have created a massive military-industrial complex. And I guess in one way that is helping. It's pushing our economy. I don't know if that's good or bad. But for some, if you have a job, then it's good for you. Look, if you like what I'm saying, awesome. If you want to join the program, come join the program. If you don't like what I'm saying, still awesome. But join the program. Give me a call, 573-427-5463. And I know some of you who have been calling, I, I get this complaint more than once. Larry, you spend too much time with the caller. I do. It's true. Guilty as charged because I do want the callers to feel like they're talking to me, not just throwing up a question and then getting off. I, I want to make sure that people feel like they're being heard and we're talking. It's a real conversation with you. That's why I do that. I know some of you get upset and you hang up. You get on the phone and you hang up. If you hung up, please call back. I'm happy to have you back on the show again. 573-427-5463. And when your time comes, I'll talk to you too. So everybody gets a whole lot of time. So yes, I'm sure some people also are um, posting some of your questions and comments. So let me see if I could grab one here. Um, hold on. Um, <clears throat> so let me find a couple here. I'm going to look just in case there are any. Okay, no, I didn't get anybody to, to – okay. Oh, good. So we're fine. All right. So I don't want to ignore the people online sometimes. I know I do that sometimes, and I apologize when I do that. Let me bring up the idea of the military-industrial complex. Well, you might say to yourself, and I know if you're, if you're more liberty-minded, you're probably against it off the bat. Bad idea. We have to stop it. But there is an advantage to it, which is why we can't just stop it, because it has created a series of industries where a lot of people make their livelihoods off of it. And if you just get rid of it overnight, you've just put literally thousands upon thousands and thousands of people out of business overnight. Foreign aid, another thing, right? Let me go through, let me go through a couple of these things. The first one is security. The fear that comes from the war on terror creates a massive security industry, right? Security. Everyone should be afraid. You got to get new security for your home, security for your body, security for everything. Security, security, security. Now, I'm not a huge security person. However, if you want to be more safe and secure, please be that way. That's awesome. It's good. I don't have a problem with security companies building stuff up. I don't have a problem with that. But you should realize something. Americans are just about as safe as we've ever been. Just a fact. We're really safe right now. Again, if you don't feel safe, I get it. You want to buy a gun or a security system or bulletproof vest or something like that, body armor, go ahead. I don't have a problem with that. But remember, some of this is fear that is being pushed by a war on terror, that somebody's out to get you 24-7. The odds are they aren't. Why are you pretty safe? I see it in New York City all the time. Right, here's what I see. I see when I go to New York City, tons of buildings now in Manhattan 
that have huge security desks on the bottom. Right before you get in, before you get in, you got to go show your ID, and it's got to be a legal ID, and they got to take a picture of you and all that stuff to get into the building. And I say, "Oh, security." That's not security. That's not. That's just nanny state. I'm, that's not stopping anybody from hurting anybody. It isn't. Nobody. Let me be very clear. That stops no one from hurting anybody. Right? If I want to kill some guy in the building, I just make an appointment for the building. I get my ID and I make it fake if I'm that important. I make a fake ID, take a picture, I'll go up there and I kill a guy. Will they probably catch me faster because my picture's there? Yeah, probably catch me faster. But I'm still going to kill a guy. If I'm going to blow up the building, whatever, I'm still going to blow it up. If I'm going to kill security, all those security guys, none of them have any weapons. If I come with weapons, what am I going to do? I'm going to shoot them all and then keep going upstairs and kill people. It's not going to stop anything. This is security theater. It's not security. You feel more secure, and your building spends tons of money on security, so they can charge you tons more in rent. But does it give you anything? I guess it makes you feel good. In my building where, where I chose my office in New York, I purposely chose no security. I chose a building that has no security on purpose. Why? I don't want my guests feeling like they're coming to a prison. I want my guests to feel comfortable and happy when they come to see me. I want my customers to feel good when they come see me. If they forget their wallet, they can still see me. I have to wait and have somebody come down and bring them upstairs for some dumb reason. doesn't mean anything. Just come up. And I've been in the same place about 15 years. And no one's bombed anybody. Look at that. No one's killed anybody. Because no one was going to. Nobody was going to. It's security theater. Now, again, if you want it, go ahead. It creates a massive security industry. There's tons of security companies making tons of money off this. But it's theater. It doesn't make anybody safer. And it's a, a huge, colossal waste of money. Or now they have the elevators where you can only press a certain code either a certain floor. Wow, what a pain in the ass that is. And it doesn't stop anybody. I'll just go downstairs and say, hey, I want to run that floor. They go, okay, and you go up there. That's all. It's that fast. But let me go to the biggest one, which will drive many of you crazy on both sides. The TSA. Those people at the airports. What a colossal waste of time and money. And this is directly from the war on terror. It affects us every single day. The amount of money we're spending to keep them doing their job, which is literally useless. Let me give you the, I'm going to give you a full rundown of all the terrorists that they've caught. Finished. Done. Not caught one. Never will. Not caught one. Never will. Not caught one. There are literally hundreds of TSA agents who've been convicted of felonies against us. The government has literally put thugs in front of us. The TSA does more damage than it does benefit. And it's crystal clear. It's not even close how much damage TSA does. It slows us all down, losing time and money. It harasses people, making us feel bad and feel terrible, making us not want to fly. It slows down everything. But Larry, what about 9-11? Yeah, they're all the time. Okay, be very clear. This goes back to the old adage. We're preparing for the last war. What does that mean? There will be no 9-11 in my lifetime. Not going to happen again. What do you imagine? Imagine if you would. You're in a plane right now. Me and you are in a plane right now. 
Some guy gets up, has a box cutter, and goes, I'm taking the plane to wherever, New York City. I'm hijacking the plane. What's going to happen to that guy? Yes, he's dying this, this day. He's being beaten to death on that airline. You know he's being beaten to death. That's going to happen. Say there's three or four of them. Then there's three or four guys who will be beaten to death. That's going to happen. You think the pilots are going to open up the cockpit? You think anyone's going to let this happen? It's not going to happen. We still have 9-11 in our heads, and our brains. It's not going to happen. The concept of preparing for 9-11 is embarrassingly dumb. We should be worried about things like cyber attacks. That makes sense. That we should be afraid of. This is something to be worried about. That's real. 9-11 again? What's wrong with us? So let's shut down the entire grid, the the airplane grid in the United States. Let's slow it down tremendously because we're afraid some guys with box cutters might hijack a plane again. What is wrong with us? This is the war on terror. This is what it creates. The TSA, wasting time and energy. But Larry, what would you go back to pre-9-11 security? Yes! I would go back to pre-9-11 security. Yes! That's what I would do. That's exactly what I would do. Go right back to that. And then allow each airline to be as secure as it wants to be. And then you pick the airline. If you want to wait in line forever because you think someone's going to bring up three ounces of liquid on for some reason, good for you. You take that airline. Now I I take my shoes off. Or is the best one, if you guys know this one. Now, if you pre-check, you don't have to do all the other stuff, right? Because you know what bad guys would never do? Get pre-check. Yeah, they would. Or better, if you're under 10, I think it is, you don't take your shoes off. Or if you're over 70 or something. Because you know what bad guys would never do? Use the elderly or kids. Yeah, they would. If you were a bad guy trying to do something, you would just use those guys or gals. Of course you would. Absolutely. None of this is anything but theater. If it makes you feel good, awesome, great, but not required. And when it's our taxpayer money, it's just being thrown in the garbage to make us feel good. Just to make us feel good. It is a massive, massive push for a security industry that just keeps growing and keeps growing and keeps growing. And of course, now we have to stay afraid. If we don't stay afraid, well, then the security industry goes down. And again, I'm not against the security industry. What I'm against is taxpayer money going to the security industry. If you want to buy stuff to feel secure, please buy stuff to feel as safe and secure as you want to be. But buy a bunker if you want to. All good. Get a buy a tank. All good. I don't. I, all good. But I'm not okay with this constant destruction of our safety, of our security. And now you're going to no-fly zone. I'm a no-fly list. Have you seen this one? A no-fly list. So you now can't fly. But that means you you can't you can't go around the country now because you're on some list. Well, what if you're really a, a real terrorist and you're on, you're on the no-fly list? What are you going to do? You'll bomb something else. You don't, it doesn't stop anything. This concept is silly and it doesn't work. But I hear, I hear it. But I got to go one step further. As I constantly want to go one step further. I have to go into the actual military industrial complex and the idea of things like foreign aid and buying and selling weapons. Now, many people will say foreign aid 
they have two sides. You have the first side, which is the more libertarian view, which is all foreign is bad and all foreign aid. You have more of a the, the caring or, or, or positive view of, oh, see, we give foreign aid because it helps people and it helps all the people. You need to realize when it comes to helping people, foreign aid, a whole lot of that is just excess food. Literally, we've paid our farmers to grow extra corn and soybeans. We can't spend it, so we give it to countries that need food. That foreign aid, while I can't stand it, fine, fine. Just give them food, fine, fine. The one that is crazy when we give them cash. This is the best one. Because when it comes to cash, we say, hey, Saudi Arabia, here's $50 billion in foreign aid. And what does Saudi Arabia do? Hey, America, I would like to buy $40 billion worth of weapons. So the leaders of the country take $10 million, put in their pocket, and then buy $40 billion worth of weapons from us. We base just bought our own weapons. We just bought and gave them weapons. It's a massive jobs program. So foreign aid becomes a massive jobs program. So even the foreign aid that we use, all of this, we can't just end. But Larry, why don't we instead shut down all the foreign bases? Love that idea. Shut the foreign, aid, foreign bases down. Again, massive jobs program. We can't just shut the bases down. Think of all the people's livelihoods are on those bases. Every single thing we do, when it's all related. The military-industrial complex is indeed a military-industrial complex. It can't just be shut down. All I'm asking you to do is think about what we're actually doing. Think about how much money we're spending, how much time we're spending on defense, how much of it is really defense, and what should we be afraid of. I'll go to the deepest one of them all. Please think of what nation is going to invade us. Yeah, none. There's no nation that's going to invade us. America has no, when it comes to traditional combat, traditional warfare, no real enemy out there. None. Are the Canadians going to invade? They're on our border. There's like nine Canadians. I'm sorry, Canada, you're mad at me now. But no, there's like nine Canadians. They're not going to invade. Are the Mexicans going to invade? They're not going to invade either. Nope. So no one's invading. There's no invasion force coming. That's not going to happen. No one has a Navy that could get past the Navy and, and land on our borders. It's not going to happen. There's no military force that is going to invade us. Literally none. None. So why are we buying more tanks? Now, wait a minute, Larry. You just said it before. Cyber attack. Yes, that is a serious issue of concern. We should be worried and concerned about it. Of course we should. Cybersecurity is critical. We should have cyber forces. We should have cyber offense and cyber defense. Of course we should. We should be able to strike someone with a cyber attack and defend against them. Of course, that is a smart and savvy use of defense money, and it is a serious defense spent. That, that makes sense. Nuclear deterrent, of course. What kept the Russians from nuking us? We would nuke them. Totally works. I'm okay with that. Not a bad idea. Let's do that. Why don't we scale down to that? Why don't we make a 10 or 20 year plan to scale down to just those three? Special forces, cyber forces, and a nuclear arsenal enough to deter any major uh, combatant. Then why don't we open up and trade, trade, trade? Why don't we do that? And I say, Larry, that sounds crazy. Okay, maybe it is crazy. 
But we've been trying the opposite for about 75 years, and it's not working. 75 years. I don't know. When When do we stop perpetual war? Maybe it's even more. I, I just said 75. Maybe it's like 85. We've been in perpetual war for, for at least 75 years. When do we end that? When does that stop? When do we go, you know what? Not working. You know what? Let's stop putting our vets in harm's way. And, and, and here's another piece. When it was World War II, for every three people who were wounded, usually only one or two actually got home because of the way things were in World War II. Many of them bled to death or the wounds were so severe. That happened. And, and, and while that's sad, they passed away. Now it's more like one in seven or one in eight. It's a huge difference. Many of the people in our uh, service right now who are out there fighting in combat zones, many of them get severely wounded and they come home. You might say, well, Larry, that's amazing. We've saved their lives. Yeah, that is amazing. But they come home broken and we're not prepared for them to reintegrate into our society when they're broken. And when I say broken, I don't always mean physically. Physically, obviously. Physically, in many ways, is easier because it's we can see it. We can, we can, we can get it and we can try to fix it, right? If, you're, if you've lost your arm, we see it. We can act accordingly. We can try to give you uh, some, some way of, of still functioning without loss of an arm. We can do that if it's, if it's physical. Again, not that I want to lose an arm or anything like that. But at least we can see it and we can try to handle that. But what, when it's, what about when it's not? What about when it's traumatic brain injury that we can't see? PTSD that we can't see? Depression that we can't see? And don't even know how, how, how to even treat? Can't treat. Won't treat. They, won't, they don't even know they have it. How about that? This is what's happening now because of our the wonderful technology that we have that saves Marines and soldiers and sailors' lives. They're wonderful technology is now making sure that when they come home, they have injuries we can't see. They have damage that's not obvious to fix. And we as a culture aren't ready to handle it and put them back into our society. When are we going to stop that? People might think I'm crazy with what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I want vets who sacrifice for us to sacrifice for us. And when they come home, I want to sacrifice for them. The sad part is, right now they aren't sacrificing for us. They are sacrificing for someone else's civil war. Not that I don't think that the Iraqis or Iranians or Afghanis deserve or don't deserve to have a stable nation. Of course they do. Everyone deserves that. They can have it. Good. But it's their job to fight. It's not Americans' job to ensure the Afghanis have freedom. It's Afghanis' job to ensure that. If they can't, then they won't. Up to them. They don't like the government, they can get rid of it. If they don't want to get rid of it, they'll keep it. I am 100%, even as the old man that I am now, a Marine from the 80s, the old man that I'm now, if I had to, I would absolutely fight in the streets. I would. If, if someone was invading our my city and they were, I'd leave my legs in Broadway. I would do it to this day. I would still do it. But why in the world would I want to leave my legs in Baghdad or Kabul or any other city or Pyongyang or wherever or Incheon? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that? I don't want to. 
And I don't want anyone else to do what I wouldn't want to do. I don't want to send anybody else over there. It's not the right answer. I hope that was clear. All right, guys, you like what I'm saying? That's awesome. Support the show. If this matters to you, support the show. Head over to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Sharpway. Give what you can give. Hope it didn't make too many of you mad and veterans there. I'm supposed to be all pro, pro-war, I guess, today. But I'm, but I'm not pro-war. It's not who I am. Um, but I, I am pro-vet, absolutely. I want to protect our vets and support them. So support me. I'm a vet on Veterans Day. Patreon.com slash Sharpway. Give what you can give. It a, mo- a monthly support will help us to move this, this – help us move this show forward and get this to more people. That, that's really what um, I want to see. All right. Um, let me see here. Um, all right. Do I have any other comments here? All right. Um, it seems one thing I received, it seems that most of the comments are veterans saying that they actually agree that thanking them for their service is um, <laughs> is making them feel uncomfortable. Yes, that's what I tell you guys. Thanking them for the service is making them uncomfortable. Yes. I'm, I know I'm giggling because so many people get mad at me when I say that. And it's true. So you don't have to say it. It's okay if you say it. We're not going to get mad at you. It makes you feel good to say it. But please, instead, if you're going to say something to a veteran who've just met, instead say, I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're back. I really think it's very good. All right. Um, all right. Um, one other question I have is, what is your biggest advice to veteran soldiers that struggle internally with PTSD and getting mental health help? They're afraid to look weak if they do. This is something that's going to be kind of interesting. And again, this is a look into vets. Years ago, I used to work with the Yellow Ribbon Fund. I haven't in, in, in many years, but I used to work for the Yellow Ribbon Fund prior to me running for governor back in the day. And when I worked with them, I would often deal with uh, – I'd always give a, I'd give a class. And this was always free. I always, I always gave my – the training that I make civilians pay tons of money for, I would make – I would let veterans have for free, right? So I was giving my time and my energy, um, which I thought was very valuable – to a lot of vets. I'd go to the, some of the Yellow Ribbon Front events, and when I'd go there, units would be coming back from Afghanistan or Iraq. Many of them were, were rotating back in their reserve units, and they'd come back, and many of them would not go to my classes. My class would be almost empty. I'd have classes on how to network, how to put your resume together, interviewing skills, all the things required, right? Because those of you who don't know who I am, that's what I do for a living, right? I, I, I'm a consultant in business. I do hiring and firing. I do all that kind of stuff, right? I, so I look at resumes. That's what I do. So I said, you know what? Let me, let me help these guys out. Many wouldn't come. So I went to one of the, the, the first sergeants there, and the first sergeant was angry. And he said something like this. I'm going to paraphrase, but it's something like this. He said, God damn it. These guys aren't going to go there, and nine months later, one of them's going to be dead. That's what he said. Because he had seen so much suicide, he assumed that he would have one of his guys from his unit be dead in nine months. That was his assumption. And I said, my God, it's hard. I was like, yeah. Oh, my God, he's mad. So I go to the person who runs the, yellow, the, the leader or the, the, the coordinator there for the Yellow, yellow uh, Ribbon Fund. And I say, are, you, are, are my classes mandatory? They went, no, no, no. We can't make it mandatory. I said, why not? He said, well, we don't want to tell them to do. I said, you have to. She said, what? I said, you have to. You have to order them to go to the class because if you order them to go to the class, then that's the excuse they can say for going to the class because they don't want to look weak. 
So if you order them, they can go, well, I wouldn't go to this dumb class, but I got ordered to. That becomes the excuse that they got ordered to. There were many times when I met with many vets, and again, when I was in Marine Corps, the staff sergeant was my, was my highest rank, and I'm, I'm just civilian now. This is you know, 20 years ago, more now, 25 years ago. So more, yeah, even more now. I would often order vets to do things. I have zero authority to order them to do anything, and I would do it anyway. I'd give them orders. I would tell them, you need to do this and this. Do you understand the order I've given you? And they go, yes, Sergeant. Awesome. Do that. I have no authority. But I would tell them that, and it would make it okay for them to do it. Now, for a civilian, being ordered is going to be like, I'm not doing what you're telling me. But for a veteran, that's often an excuse. So if you're in a position to order them to do things that are good for them, sometimes that will actually help. And you'll tell because once you give them the order, if they immediately acquiesce, that's all they wanted. If they don't immediately acquiesce, they don't really want to do it, back off. So you can give the order and see how they act. I know it sounds crazy, but generally speaking, if you are a vet, you understand what I'm talking about. Giving that order will actually help them. And, if, and, if, and, and later on, the captain actually gave them an order and they filled my class. It worked. And they went there with their arms folded. I don't want to be here. And then all of a sudden they learned how to network and all of a sudden they were happy. So it, it was much, much better. So the first thing is you can just order them if you're in that area. But if, if you're not, there's something else. It's going to sound crazy. Go with them. I'm very serious. Don't tell a vet that he or she should go. Say you're going to go and you want them to come with you. Because what winds up happening is when you're going to go and they're going to come with you, now you've given them support. You've, given them, you've allowed them to support you, and in return, you've supported them. So it's amazing how I would go to events and then ask my veteran friends to come with me. And you know, this conversation making, making me rehash. I haven't done a lot of this. In the, since I ran for governor, I, I hardly ever do this anymore. And you know what? I, now I'm thinking I really should do this again. I should, I should, get, I should get back into this again. I, I have really been remiss on this since I ran for governor. Prior to running for governor, I did, I did it much more. Now I, I hardly ever do it, and I really need to start doing it again. Um, I have less time for volunteering now is my issue. I'm trying to make money from my campaign, um, from my loss of my campaign. I'm, I'm giving excuses. It doesn't matter. I should be doing this more, and me talking about it, realizes I should be doing this more. My point being, another thing you do is you go with them. So you literally say, I'm going. Can you come with me? Now that vet doesn't feel like they're going for themselves. Of course they are. But now they're supporting you. And the last thing is, tell them that someone else needs them. This is one of the reasons why dogs and animals work so well. It becomes a mission for the vet to support something else, to help something else is one of the reasons. There are many reasons why dogs work, but this is one of them, right? They're supporting someone. These veterans want to support a cause. They want to support somebody. They want their brother or sister to the right, to the left to, to lean on and to lean on them, right? That's what they want. It creates another brotherhood or sisterhood. So order them. If, that, if you're a vet, you can do that. Or you go and say, please come with me. Or three, say someone else needs you to be there. These are three very good ways to get vets to act when they actually may not want to act. Or that's not true. May be afraid to act or may be worried about others will think. You do that and you will be able to get more vets to act better and hopefully get some help that they actually need. But it takes you to step up and do that. All right. Um, where was I?
Um, there's another one. Is there any reason that you would suggest someone join a branch of the military? Yeah, it's a volunteer force. If you want to join, join. Right? So if you want to join the Army or the Navy or the Marine Corps, it's fine. I didn't say Air Force. You said military. So I'm teasing you, my Air Force brothers and sisters. I'm teasing you. That's all. Yes. No. But if, if, you, if you want to join this, it's a volunteer service. Right? I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do at the time. I did it. I don't regret it at all. That's what I did. That's what I did. So if you, it's a volunteer force. I am, I know many people are pro-draft. Many people are. I am not. I am absolutely against a draft. Military service should not be mandatory at all. Many people disagree with me on this. They say, well, we'll have better people, more patriotic people. That may be true. I don't know if that outcome is true or not. Maybe it will be true. But whether true or not, it's still wrong. Military service should not be forced. It's not the right answer. But Larry, what if we need more troops and we don't have enough? First off, as we mentioned earlier, there's no one invading us anyway. But even if there was, I would ask a very important question. If you can't get enough people to volunteer to defend this country, what kind of country do we have? I would hope people want to volunteer to defend their homes and their families and their nation and their states. I would hope they would. If they don't, what kind of country do we have? And we've had a volunteer force, what? Is it about 40 years now, give or take? In that area, 40, 50 years, we've had a volunteer force. We've had a, a large army. It's done its job. It's been, been winning almost every battle. We don't win wars because of our policy, but we win almost every battle. It's, it's very rare. Since World War II, it's very rare Americans lose battles. We win almost every battle. It's very rare we lose battle. I mean, probably one in 200 we lose. We win almost every battle. But we lose the wars because of our policies, and that, that's, that has nothing to do with the bravery or the actions of our soldiers and Marines. So um, I hope that was a, a clear answer. Uh, my loved one saw active combat. It's a, a question from the Internet. Uh, I love one, my loved one saw active combat. He's struggling to adjust. He is seeing mental health professionals, but I'm so worried that he'll commit suicide. What can I do to mentally support him during his struggle? Yeah, this is hard. This is a tough one, right? When, when someone... Is look, remember when someone's looking at suicide, the number one thing to realize is they believe in their hearts and they convince themselves in their hearts that that is a better alternative than living. This is a critical thing to understand. They have convinced themselves it is a better alternative than them living. What you do not want to say is two things we always do. The first thing we say is, Look at how other people are. You're not that bad off. When you do that horrible thing, all you do is further invalidate their feelings. So now you further invalidate their feelings to make them feel even worse. Then they feel like, wow, I'm a total loser. They feel even worse. So I don't want you doing that. The second thing we do, um, don't do it. You have so much to live for. Well, they obviously don't think that. So don't say that either. Neither of those things will work. Instead, I'm telling you something insanely crazy. This may sound nuts. Tell them how you would feel if they passed away. I'm very serious, particularly, again, vets. Vets are notoriously modest and selfless. Notoriously. Not all of them, obviously. People are people and some aren't. But they're notoriously that. Why in the world would you say, you're great, you're this, like, no, I'm not. Instead, say, I will miss you. 
I don't want you to go. If you if you die, I will miss you. That may seem so selfish to you, but it's powerful to them because, again, they're supporting somebody. So don't forget that. Don't forget them. Don't don't tell them that if they go, who else they're hurting? Who else they're hurting? They should feel that if they check out, they're being selfish and they're hurting others. That's what they should feel. Not that they have anything to live for, it's worth that. Second, I'm not making this up, guys. Plan with them. Plan with them. Tell them, and we're going to do this, do that, and make plans. When they see nothing in the future, why bother living? But when they see something in the future with people that they care about, they tend to want to live. It's not a 100% rule, and this isn't magic and doesn't work every time. But you're asking for something that you can do to help. This helps. Let them know how you will feel if they go. And number two, plan with them for the future. Give them something to look forward to. These two things will help your loved one get through this. It's not magic. I'm not guaranteeing anything. But I am saying it will help and make things better. If your loved one's struggling really hard with this, this may not be enough to be forward with you. If they're not, this might be just enough to get them over that hump. So I hope that was helpful. All right, another one. Oh, question. You guys don't want to call. You want to write? Okay, you're going to write. It's fine. All right. Both the drug war and the Patriot Act are direct violations of the Fourth Amendment. Yes, 100%. The Patriot Act. I didn't even touch the Patriot Act. I thought it was so obvious. I didn't even touch that one. The Patriot Act, which is one of the worst attacks on American people that's ever been perpetuated. Um, perpetuated. Is that right? Perpetrated. Whatever. Imposed. How about that? We'll use that word. Imposed. One of the worst things ever imposed upon the American people um, was the Patriot Act. It literally, it literally said, I, as President of the United States, can declare anybody a bad guy and punish them. It took away all of our rights. And it happened again from what I talked about earlier during the show. And that is, I have to make you safe. That's all that matters. And I repeat once again for those who weren't watching or listening earlier. The oath I took as a Marine was not to protect every single American from every single thing. No, it was to defend the, the protect and depend and support the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution supports our rights so that we can support, um, uh, so we can protect ourselves. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what I want us to be thinking about. So the Patriot Act was a disaster, and we keep doing it. We're proud of it. Think about how, who we are, who we've become. We've become a nation that is proud of the Patriot Act that takes away our rights. And when does it go away? Never. Are we any safer? If we're safer, why do we have that? I don't understand. Why do we still have that? We shouldn't. It's a terrible idea. So, yes, thank you for that. Um, I'm going to grab a, a call now. Um, I'm staying... Well, it's, it's all about New York. Today's New York Day. I don't mind. Usually I get over, over the country, but I'll take New York today. I'm going to Staten Island. I have Susan. Susan, how are you? Larry, my boy. How are you, my dear? I'm going to pause this video on Facebook. With I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. You want to talk about veteran suicides? Uh, 
Well, yes. I mean, obviously, I want to reduce the amount of veterans that feel they need to suicide. Yes. There are a couple of things that that go into this. I'm going to talk a little bit about something I haven't talked about before, and that is Mm -hmm. how businesses look at veterans. And the second one is how we look at veterans. Mm -hmm. Businesses look at veterans in one of two ways, and both are bad. One Tax of, break. Well, no, that's not really. I mean, some do, but I mean when the HR person uh, brings them aboard, right? Mm-hmm. They look at them as either possible person with PTSD and problems mm-hmm. or two, magical superhero who can fix everything. Mm-hmm. Both are wrong. Both are wrong, Right. So now, and, and this is a true story. Again, I was talking about stories about how when I was doing um, uh, training for a lot of vets, I had one person, one vet sitting in front of me, and we're doing a mock interview. And I'm asking him, so tell me about yourself. And the guy, I'm sorry, it was Gal, actually. Um, the, the first thing she says is, the first thing she says, well, the first firefight I was in, that's how she began her sentence. And I said, okay, we got to stop that right there. What an HR rep who's probably 27 years old just heard is, I don't belong here. All right, shoot guns. Yes. Can I tell you really, when you said earlier that people who are in the military are in the business of, you said service, and I agree with you, but I just think, I think that the military specifically might um, have the people do want to receive instructions about how they can help their fellow Americans. And, and they're yes. not, yet they're not specifically the leadership role. You, yes. Hold on. Some, you, you've hit the second part. I want to bring up. You, you're already there. I'm already there. Yeah. That is the difference between the officer corps and the enlisted corps. There's a, there's a gap there that most people don't understand that you have to know this. And most HR people don't know it. Most people in business don't get this, which is why I spend time training this. When you get someone who is an officer, and an example I give is a Marine Corps officer. Marine Corps officers are a very, a very good clique, great networking. Many of them go to Wall Street. They know each other. They say, particularly if you're from Annapolis or one of those, oh, my God, it's amazing. right? But my point being, the officer corps has been taught at a very young age to figure out what hill to take, to think on a larger level on how to make things happen and to lead. The enlisted corps has been taught, take that damn hill no matter what. But if you don't tell them what hill to take, they will often just sit around waiting for orders. The enlisted corps will very often start waiting for – if you tell them, hey, guys, that's the hill. Go take it. They will do whatever it takes to take that hill, whatever it takes. They will find an answer. They will think through problems. They will physically knock it down. They will do what's required to take that hill. But if you don't tell them what hill to take, they will very often just sit and wait for orders. Also, and, and why to take the hill. Say it again? And why they need to take this hill. Why it's strategically, strategically important and yep. or why – yeah, they need the, both, both the information on how to take the hill and why they should do it. But this and becomes the issue that, that I brought up earlier, which is you also want to realize that they have to still integrate into our communities. And the language that we use and the values that we have aren't military values. 
They're different values that we have to break them. You're completely correct. If we tell them a why, like, because it'll make money, they may not see that as valuable. And that's fine. But you know what? That exposes an overall larger problem with military military solutions in an overall sense that, yes, you know, there has to be a mission. Yes. And, unfor- and unfortunately, that also means that maybe some of our current military activities can't be justified. I don't understand what you mean by that. Our current military activities don't have a mission? Ah, yes. You mean uh, like fighting in Syria right now or something? Or Afghanistan, yeah. Yes, sure. This is my point earlier with these are wars that we can't win. They're unwinnable wars. We we haven't well, been able to win a war since have, World War Two. They have no mission, none. Yep. And right. Yes. yes. You yes. You've told me we need mission. Yes. I took it to heart, and I assume that should we have a war with no mission, let's try and end the war. Absolutely. If look what what people talk about, and Colin Powell brought this up twenty years ago. He brought up that maybe 30 years ago now. I mean, he brought up the idea. He wrote a book called uh, My My American Journey, if not mistaken. And he spoke about this idea of whenever you're going to go to war, you have to tell your generals, you've got to tell your officer corps, here's why we're going, and here is how we measure victory, right? If we achieve this, we win. And if you but can't that do was that, when he was running for president. Yeah, that was back in the day. <laughs> yes, on. yes, that he was back in the day. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. I, we're, we're dating ourselves, aren't we? I'm sorry. We're dating ourselves. The youngsters are like Colin who? They don't even know. They're like, you mean Colin Firth? No, I don't mean him. I'm sorry. Wrong guy. No, I mean so, Colin War guy. guy. Yes, yes. But, uh, but no, I agree with you. I mean, the idea of, uh, the, I, the idea of, you know, un- having a mission is critical for everybody, but actually more important for um, for veterans. And we always mission get it. critical have to have it. Will will not succeed without organized goals. It can't happen. And and that is so. Everyone that says socialism, and we look. I've been hearing people over the years, and they say things. Socialism can't succeed because it doesn't have the information about prices. And this and that, okay. And war also can't succeed because it doesn't have the information in the same way. It just doesn't have the information. Like we, imperialism, United States cannot change the Middle East overall. I love veterans, and I'm not trying to knock on soldiers. I almost I had the same instincts, and I bailed out. I didn't join the army. Mm-hmm. I did not. I I felt I was supposed to. And most of my life, I was very close to doing this, and mm-hmm. I didn't do it. No, no. I Look, I, I, I hear what you're saying completely, and, and I think you're right. You do want to have a mission. But the issue is when, if it's me or you, and when, and when you know, not veterans now, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a vet, but now I'm, I'm 20, 30 years out. If I go to a job and there's no mission for me, then I leave the job or I quit or I hang around until I find something better or whatever. I, I handle that because I'm accustomed to that. But imagine if you would, you're a veteran who was, particularly if you're overseas, I mean, your mission was in many ways life or death. Your mission was important. It was valuable. You were supporting people on something real. If you screwed up, people could die. 
I mean, it's a real mission. Now you come back and you get a job in a warehouse. You get a job driving a truck or you get a job insert thing here, right? Whatever you're doing. Is there a mission? Sure. You make sure the truck is safe. I got that. That's a mission. Make sure the warehouse is put together. That's a mission. I got it. But is it anywhere near that mission you had when you were in? No, it isn't. And to your point, that's if they're lucky enough to have a clear mission. What if they don't? What if the bosses or managers aren't good and they just say, go do your job, go away, see you at 5 o'clock? That guy gets depressed. He can't find connection. He doesn't feel like he's part of the world. What is that doing? He starts hanging around other vets only. They all feel the same way. They start going to their own clique. They fall into their old habits. They all start reminiscing. They all stop feeling bad. They don't integrate. And before you know it, one of them puts a shotgun in his mouth. That's how that happens again and again and again. I say this forever and I'll keep saying it. I, we need a way to get our veterans integrated back into their communities as easy and as soon as possible. And a very important thing is understanding HR people understand that and they don't. It doesn't mean you don't, oh, uh, that most people don't know. Now it's better, but four or five years ago, six years ago, even worse, there wasn't even an affinity group within an organization for veterans. There'd be a women's group or a, a Hispanic group or African-American group or a gay and lesbian group. All those groups, there wouldn't be a veterans group. Wouldn't exist. Now more companies have it, but still most don't. Most companies don't even know if they have a veteran population. They have no idea because on their forms, they have no way of checking a veteran's box. Now, again, that's become better recently. But for a long time, there wasn't even that. So how could that even work? So anyway, I want to say thank you, Susan, for the phone call. I hope that was a, a good chat. Well, yeah, I had a chat. I'm very happy to be here with you. I, I want to reduce veteran suicide, and I want to reduce veterans overall. Now, I, I agree with you. Let's fight less wars. Let's begin to bring it all down. Let's let's begin to to hone our military into you know special forces, cyber forces, nuclear forces, Defense, and defensive that's it. forces. Yes, for our, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm there with you. There let's we go. do that. Thanks, Susan. I All appreciate right. it. See ya. Have a good night. All right. Yes, it's important that we do that. Susan is right. Mission matters, and us understanding if if you're someone hiring vets, understand those differences. Think about it in your own company. Do you have that or not? So I'm going to stay on the phones. This is just New York night. I love it. We're going to go uh, to New York now. We're going to uh, only add New York. We're going to – so we have staying. This is Western New York this time, not Staten Island. We're going to Western New York, and I'm talking to Melissa. Melissa, how are you? I'm good, Larry. First of all, Semper Fi. Semper Fi. My, my father is a Marine. Ah, there we go. Um, uh, is I, he active duty now or he's retired? No, he's he's retired, but you know you never stop being a marine, right? That's true, absolutely, yes, absolutely. And also, thank you for your service because it is Veterans Day. It is Veterans Day, absolutely. Thank you. Um, what I'm concerned about, and I have questions about, is my my grandfather served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He he was in the in the Navy. He was a parachute rigger, mm-hmm. and he doesn't talk about much. He doesn't talk much about his experiences. And my uncle, his son, was in the United States Army. Mm-hmm. He's still in the National Guard, but um, he served in Desert Storm 
and Iraqi freedom, mm-hmm. both both times. And he did a couple for Iraqi freedom. But my concern is, I don't know as a civilian what members of the military go through mm-hmm. as far as when they return from a foreign country and they're getting ready to go back home after war, what the military does to kind of reintegrate them into civilian life as far as the mental health capacity. No, this is a very valid point. And I'm going to say something that will, that will shock some of you, but I'll say it anyway. The government does a terrible job at separating uh, military people. A horrible job. And it's done so for decades. For decades. There were guys who would get out of Vietnam, maybe your grandfather, get out of Vietnam and literally within 30 days be back on the streets of their home. After a year or two in Vietnam, that's how fast they were back. There were some people, I remember hearing stories that they literally had Vietnam dirt on their boots when they were back in America. That's how fast they were reintegrated. And that's one of the reasons, there are many of them, but that's one of the reasons why they had so much trouble was because of that, one of the reasons. And still does bad. It's so bad that I actually stopped working with the VA. The VA used to come to me all the time. Um, that was a norm. They, they knew who I was here in New York, and they would come to me and ask me to do trainings and such. But they had some kind of rubric they had to work with. They said, well, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And I said, all of this is horseshit means nothing. Yeah, but you have to do it. I said, I'm not working with you anymore. You, they were doing things, and not joking, it's probably 15 years ago, 10 years ago. They're talking about, you know, tell them what paper to put their resume on. I'm like, paper on your resume? Who the hell reads a paper resume anymore? What are you, nuts? These guys aren't doing that. What are you doing? It's a terrible idea. So the VA was also very bad. I don't know if they're still bad. My assumption is they are, but I don't know for sure. They were terrible to the point where I literally would not work for them. And the funny part is the VA actually wanted, wanted to pay me. And I still said no. So I only worked with nonprofits, which I would do for free. So I'd only work for non because nonprofits actually wanted to help vets. Nonprofits said, Larry, we're so happy to have you. And you can tell, talk to these vets about real issues. Please go tell them. We're not going to give you a rubric. They just decided to ask the vets afterwards if they were satisfied with what they were learning. And they said yes. So they brought me back. So you have a very – you're right. We definitely need local communities to step up here. The government is not doing a good job, and it's clear. Now, people say, well, the VA is good. People like the VA. Let me tell you something. About 100 Americans commit suicide every day, give or take. About 22 of them are vets, give or take. Vets are less than 10% of our population. They're committing suicide at twice the rate of non-vets. VA is not doing so well. I don't care how you, yeah, how you slice I mean, that. I, I can tell you, um, and, and I'm not ashamed to talk about this, but I have non-combat PTSD sure. from, chi- from child abuse. Yes. No, no, that's a thing I know. And, and I can't even imagine what someone who's been in a war zone mm-hmm. and seen or actually been involved with, you know, people being killed, what they're going through. Absolutely. No, no, I, I you are, look, PTSD is not only from combat. The issue is we've created a whole lot of PTSD because we've created so much combat, right? There are people go through PTSD from all types of trauma, from abuse or um, mental, physical abuse, all types of things, right? Of course, all I'm saying is we know, in other words, 
if I see someone walking down the street, I have no idea whether they've been abused as a child or physically abused. If I see a vet who's come from combat, I know he's got probably got some PTSD, uh, PTSD issues, and we can deal with it, and the VA should be doing a better job, and it's not. Community has to step up. And look, if you've had what? issues with your own PTSD, here's what I'm sure of. When you had more people to lean on, it was easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely having a support system definitely worked. But Absolutely. What it's I want to know is what do you think the solution would be at the state level? And if you have a solution at the national level, what do you think that would be too? Absolutely. It is a revamping of the VA completely. Figuratively blowing it up and restarting it. Figuratively, don't get me in trouble, guys. Figuratively blowing up and restarting the VA. The VA is a disaster. I would start from scratch. Number one, that's national. At a local level, yes, yeah, state level. I'm going to empower local communities to move forward, doing things like allowing people to do things, as an example, giving them local tax breaks for hiring veterans for the first two years. Hire a vet for the first two years, and boom, you get tax break. Why two years? Because most people don't know this. Over 50% of all veterans quit their first job within the first year. That's higher than any other group of people. Veterans quit their job. Within the, the first job they get back, when they get back, quit their job, 50% within the first year. So I give them incentive to keep that vet on for two years. This way the company will want to try to train and give them the help required. Not just that. Very simple. Ask them to report on the number of veterans they have. Yes, I know that's bureaucracy. I'm sorry. I seem to get mad. I don't want – I don't actually care if they do anything. I just want them to report that number. Why? They'll have to keep track and know they have veterans. That's it. There's no penalty if they don't. There's no penalty if they do. There's, I'm not even keeping the records. I don't care. You just got to do it. It'll make people pay attention to the vet population they have. Give them those two years. You will help at a local level. And something else. Do what I'm doing now. Talk about it. Talk about it so that local VFWs, local American legions can put together support communities to move people forward. You do those three things, you'll have safer, happier vets. Was that helpful? Absolutely. And I just wanted to ask another question real quick. Do you happen to know what the percentage is of veteran-owned businesses? Because I've heard a lot yeah. about that as well. Yeah, the problem is there really isn't. That Again, as I said, most people don't keep track of that. There are some guesses, guesses out there. You can do some guesses. But they often, the only thing they'll keep track of is veterans with disabilities. They'll do that. So there are some there's some good data on vets with disabilities who own businesses, but just veteran owned businesses, it's hard to find. I'd do a Google search if I were you, it but the numbers may not be accurate because people don't really keep track of that as much as they should. I'll definitely check into that. Thank you so much. Of course. Have a great night. You too. Awesome. Thanks for calling. All right, let's uh let's move on. We get we got more people on the phone lines. Thank you guys for staying. We're gonna go up I'm, this is a New York night. We are going to upstate New York. We are gonna go to upstate New York. And we're going to be talking about cyber forces. We are talking uh, right now to Daniel. Daniel, how are you? Hi, this is Theo. Oh, I'm sorry, Theo. Not sorry. Daniel. Sorry, wrong guy. We have Theo. I apologize. Theo, how are you? Hey, hi, Larry. How are you? I'm doing great. Talk to me, my friend. Well, I, I wanted to let you know, well, we never met in person, but my grandfather was a veteran. Oh, okay. Uh, from World War II. 
And he had PTSD, so I don't know much about him, mm -hmm. uh, except that he would take me fishing. Oh, that's the only I thing like he that. Cared. <laughs> no, I like but, that. Uh, uh, fishing and things like that are very often great ways to um, to calm people down. Absolutely. Yes, but as the descendant of uh, of uh, someone who was a Japanese in the American Army, mm -hmm. I didn't know all his history. Oh, and okay. I learned it later on. But I wanted to talk to you about what's going on in the housing market because I've been sending this press release around mm -hmm. uh, about some corruption going on in the New York housing market. And people that I know that in my building where I lived, several people were veterans that were dishonorably discharged mm -hmm. because this was the inner city, the, the cheap places, and those people were discharged not for seeing that today wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. But back in the days during the Vietnam War, they were dis dishonorably discharged, therefore they couldn't get any benefit for anything they have done. Mm -hmm. And today, fast forward today, and we're having a housing complex in New York that is basically kicking out people left and right, regardless of what you have done based on your income, uh, whether you cannot get you know, you can, you, whether you can afford the rent at $200, now it's going to $1,200. And basically, it's, doing, it's done through a path to foreclosure to home ownership. I don't, I, I, I don't really understand the vet angle on this. In New York, New York City, corruption in housing is like New York City in pigeons. It's everywhere. I completely <laughs> get that. I'm, I'm not surprised by that whatsoever. I'm not surprised about developers trying to throw people out so they can knock the buildings down and make more money. I'm not surprised on any of those things. Um, what my question though was, how does this deal with vets? The, the thing is, the thing is, I have met vets who were in those programs uh -huh. that got booted out like everybody else. So the problem I'm trying to bring forward, uh, like for example, the fact that Corey, Corey, Corey Johnson, uh, not Corey Johnson, but Corey, um, Corey um, Booker is running for president, mm -hmm. while his girlfriend is benefiting from a program that is actually she's she's the she's part of the problem because she was she came out from the bottom, she got famous, and she's using her money. To crush anyone else, and this is happening all over the place. That people like her, who are getting suddenly richer, start to push down on the most vulnerable, including no, I, some I, vets. I think that happens often, and I'm, I'm not sure it's a vet issue. But if I understand what your concern is, though, is that some vets who were thrown out uh, for un, 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 um, the dishonorable discharges, look, if you get dishonorable discharge. You can petition to – I think it's called a general discharge. I think there's something like that or or other than honorable. There, there, there is a way that you can kind of get rid of the stigma of a dishonorable discharge. I've forgotten what it's called. I think it's called an other than honorable. Someone I'm sure will Google this and give me the answer. But it's something like that. You can, you can petition for it if you want to. The issue is we as a society at one point have to say – and your point's a valid one – how long do I punish some guy from, you know, draft dodging in Vietnam era? Well, that's a bad thing. I wouldn't exactly my point. Yes, at one point we have to do that. So if if if, if these people are know that you can petition to have an other than honorable discharge, they should be doing exactly that. 
the odds are if there's some landlord or some developer who wants to throw people out, they're not going to tell them that. And that goes right back to my community piece, right? These people are veterans and should be part of their veteran community. And the vet should be telling them, hey, dude, in Vietnam, when you do that stupid stuff, why don't you apply to get your dishonorable change to other than honorable? And very often that can be done if when we look back, we realize it wasn't that bad. If these guys were bad, like they shot their office or something horrible like that, and they did time in in Leavenworth. I'm talking about that. Then, of course, that should happen. I get it. But I'm assuming these guys didn't do things like that. No, exactly. They were yes. not. But I'm talking back in the 70s and the 80s. Yep. And, I mean, today, for example, my, my uncle was in the army as well during Korea. And he he's a, had a, how you call that when you're you're hearing voices? Uh, schizophrenic? The, the schizophrenic. Yep. And now the the thing is very hard for the community to work with them. Yes. Because they're, they're really, it's, it, this is a, another issue is the community is not armed to deal with schizophrenic people. Absolutely. For I agree with that too. And even 100%. the police is not a, the police is not even able to deal the with The police them. will shoot so them sometimes because they're afraid. Exactly. Yes, so, I agree. They're afraid. And so the whole housing thing always come back. This is like what you put a roof over someone, and this is what I need your your help in a way yep. is to blow the lid off uh, of all these housing issues that have affected all kind of people, including your veterans. Well, I appreciate the call, Theo. I got to grab some more calls. Um, now people Absolutely. have heard it, so they can uh, hopefully uh, follow uh, follow suit and look at what's happening. Thank you so much for the call. Take care, Larry. Bye. Alrighty. I am actually going. I am actually going uh, to uh, back to Daniel this time. Trying to grab upstate New York this time. Sorry, Daniel, if I screwed up last time. I'm trying to get you. I hope I will get you right this time. We're talking about cyber forces and talking about Daniel. Daniel, how are you? Fine yourself, sir. Hey, I did it. All right, we got you. Thank you for calling. Sure. So uh, my question is just: right now, we are having more drones used in warfare and. Uh, as you mentioned, there are cyber forces. There are the, the, the uh, they're trying to get like robotic infantrymen. Yes, such. So absolutely. My question is, um, what? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, damage to a robot is 100 times preferable to damage to any human being. But absolutely. My question is, um, when it comes to uh, our uh, robots uh, hurting people and, and, and damaging property? abroad, um, how would you suggest that we rehumanize the, the, the battlefield for, um, for the American public, like in terms of journalism and such? Well, there's a couple of things. Rehumanize is amazing you, you use that, that phrase. You remember there was an old classic Star Wars, uh, Star Wars, uh, shame on me, a classic Star Trek um, episode that the two planets are fighting each other. And they've been fighting each other for so long, they decided we don't actually want to blow stuff up anymore because it's, it's too horrible. So they basically have a massive computer simulation that fights each other. And then when the computer says people have been destroyed and killed, the people literally walk into disintegration tubes and accept themselves as casualties. And the Star Trek crew gets down there and goes, this is horrible. What are you talking about? They're like, well, no, this is a better way of fighting. See? We're just using computers. No one's bombed. There's no blood. We just walk into disintegrators and we keep fighting our war. 
And the Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock actually tear this thing to pieces and they make them fight horribly and everyone gets mad and he goes, war should be horrible so you don't do it, right? It should be human so you don't do it. They've made war so clean, they just they keep fighting wars. So I think the rehumanizing phrase is a very interesting phrase you use. I think we do want it to be human. But the piece I would say is while our hardware is that we're talking about the, 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 the hardware pieces have to be run by humans. And second – I want it to be as elite as possible, not generic, right? So what we're having is we're using right now, we're using our drones and our hardware to supplement a massive bombing campaign or even to carry out a massive bombing campaign. I don't want that. I don't want to be bombing people. I want to be taking out an individual or one thing or shutting down a grid or counterattacking, you know, someone's infrastructure. I want that to happen because when that happens, now people see it. So I think the goal is to not simply use hardware to supplement. We don't want to just bomb better, if that makes any sense. Right? And right now we're just bombing better. And we're bombing to a point where I can bomb these things and blow stuff up and my people are sitting somewhere in, in you know in Turkey or off the coast on some, you know, on some um uh boat, some ship somewhere, and they're bombing people. I don't want to be bombing people. I want to be I want to be bombing an individual or getting that individual. That's what I want. I don't I want as little collateral damage as possible every single time and that's not what we're doing. And do you see foresee the use of more in terms of isolating the the battlefield from uh journalistic scrutiny? Do you foresee the use of more um, like uh, c- citizen journalist drones? I mean... Yes. Well, the uh, issue you have now is there really isn't much of a battlefield, right? That's the problem. Right. There isn't much of a battlefield. The battlefield is everywhere. The battlefield is random, right? There's, there's really, there's, it's hard to find a front line very often because the battle right. becomes wherever I can put my forces, right? Wherever I can land. And the drone can go anywhere and our air power can go anywhere, so when you add that, it's very hard to find a front line. So where does a journalist go, right? Journalists get killed every year. Dozens get killed every year trying to cover wars. So what should journalists be doing? Why can't journalists also have satellites? Why can't journalists also have drones? Of course they should. Now, if we're not just blowing everything up, then we shouldn't be blowing up journalist drones, should we? That's the point. Does that make sense? Thank you. That answers Yes, that answers my question. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. Take care. All right. I'm taking off. Getting, I'm taking off. I'm getting, I'm getting out of New York again, which is awesome. I haven't spent much time out of New York tonight. And I'm going over to Utah. And I'm going to uh, talk about the military industrial compass, which I did talk about a little bit earlier, which is awesome. We can always rehash that. I'm going to be grabbing um, Jordan out of Utah. Jordan, how are you? Good. What's going on, my friend? Talk to me. Uh, first time caller. Um, um, my, my question is, um, uh, my question is, uh, uh, what's the point of the military industrial complex and why does it, um, um, and why does it, ex- and should it exist or should it go? <laughs> well, the, the military industrial complex in, in the perfect world should go away. Obviously it should go away. The issue is it is exactly that. It's an industrial complex. It is a massive jobs program. It just is. 
And for some people that may sound bad, but some it may sound good, but it's it's it that's what it is. There is a massive security industry, there's a massive weapons industry, there's building bases, there's foreign aid, there's so many things tied into the military industrial complex. There's creating foodstuffs, there's uniforms, there's so many things that fall into that, which is not just us fighting and replacing our uh, it's it's creating more buying more tanks and more weapons that we now put that onto our police forces to militarize our police. There is so much to it. You can't just go, it should end tomorrow. I mean you could say that. But in reality, if you did it, you would put so many people into distress and into some type of disruption immediately that they would cry for it to come back right away. In fact, they'd want it they'd want to double down on it. You, you, if you just got rid of it, we would double the military industrial complex in, in three months because people would want it back so badly. So we have to be able to provide ways of getting people to have those jobs, to build the things we want us to build, which is why I spoke earlier about the idea of start trading now. Let's open up Cuba. Let's open up North Korea. Let's open up Iran right now to starting to, you know, to trade back and forth, trade back and forth now to open up new markets to get people those jobs so you can slowly begin to pull back on the military industrial complex. Start getting rid of all the people uh, closing the bases overseas. But you can't close them right away. We've made treaties with these people in other countries, and their economies are based upon this. And there's so much of an intertwining of the military industrial complex with the civilian population. It just if, – if you get rid of it right away, the disruption would be massive. So should it go away? Of course. Will it go away tomorrow? No. Should we get rid of it tomorrow? No. We should wean it off to the best of our ability. Um, otherwise, disruption will be so bad, people will just – remember, people who are afraid make bad decisions. I don't want more people who are afraid making worse decisions. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you, Larry. Awesome. Yeah, that, and, and, and I hope uh, – I hope you run for the libertarian nomination. Of what? Uh, for, for uh, any uh, for for any office, like president, governor. No president. That's not going to happen. I appreciate it, but no way. I'm going to pass. Okay. Yes. I'm. I, <laughs> I, I'm going to pass. I appreciate it. Though. Thank you so much. Though. I appreciate it. All right, thank guys. You. Thank you. Um, I want to say thank you so much for tonight. This was an amazing show. I'm so happy you gave me all your time and energy. And if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash sharpway. If you like what I was talking about, give what you can give. Support the show. This costs time. This costs money. Look, it's Veterans Day. I'm here with you, not with my family and friends. I'm here with you, right? This, 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 if you think this matters, you have to support. You've supported many things. Support this. Go there now. Drop 28 bucks a month. Drop 15 bucks a month. Drop 9 bucks a month. Drop something a month so we can keep this going. I want to keep this going. It matters. There are a lot of shows that are libertarian out there. None like this one. And you know that's true. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening right now. So I want to thank you guys. And I will see you all next week. Uh, uh, next week here on The Sharp Way.